Alrighty, well, good morning, Anthem Church. It is uh, it's good to be with you all this morning and to, to worship and, and open up the Word together and see what the Lord has for us. As Chris said, my name is Zach Everly. I am the, the new SALT director here. Good to have the privilege of overseeing our, our college ministry. Um, I was a student at Mizzou for four years. I uh, worked as an engineer in St. Louis for a year, and the Lord had other plans, and now I'm back in Columbia, and I'm uh, overjoyed to be here with you this morning. Uh, the last couple weeks, we've been working through our summer series on stewardship. Uh, we kind of started out with some more individual aspects of the person, whether it's stewardship of emotions, uh, stewardship of our physical health. And over the last few weeks, we've kind of changed trajectory to the more relational aspects of the life of a Christian. Uh, we looked last week at stewardship of sex, and the week before that, we looked at stewardship of friendship. This morning, we turned to stewardship of dating. And as much as some of us in the crowd this morning might want a uh, 10 steps to find your soulmate or your, uh, your sweet honey, significant other. Uh, that's not what we're going to be doing this morning, unfortunately. Uh, but the reality is that we're in a completely new world of dating. You see, Christians, yesterday's dating is not today's dating, and it is indeed a really hard thing to navigate, and it's, it's really confusing. And even for me, just in a moment of, of real vulnerability, I am currently dating, um, and even as I was preparing this sermon, a lot of times you're thinking, man, what do I, what do I have for the people, what do I have for you guys? And I'm, I'm reading the text, trying to, to see what the Lord would have for the, for the church body, but in reality, the, the text over the last two weeks preparing this is, has read me. Um, I was cut by the text, and as I'm still continuing to figure out how to steward my dating relationship, um, the Lord is speaking to me in mighty ways, and I, I pray this morning that he would do the same. Um, whether or not you're, you are dating, perhaps you're, you're wanting to date, or maybe you are, are happily married and are counseling those who are dating, um, we need a place to run to amidst the cultural changes that we experience in our daily lives. Amidst the ebbs and flows, we need a place that is a firm ground for us to run towards. Um, dating can be complex and weird and awkward for a lot of people. Um, and I, I can recall when my girlfriend Gracie and I started dating, there's just kind of these moments where you're like trying to be, at least for me, I'm trying to be cool and suave and, you know, trying to say the right things and look really cool. And I remember we had a great first date. It was fantastic. Uh, we had a second date. We went to, to Rockbridge State Park, Devil's Icebox, a great hike, taught her how to skip rocks, super romantic. And uh, as, we, as we finished that date, I didn't realize in my naive man brain that I made no indication of whether or not a third date was on the horizon. Um, I just kind of left it there and was like, in my head, I'm thinking, man, this was great. Um, I'd love to go for round three. This was fantastic. I made no mention of that, and it was funny kind of reflecting in hindsight with her. Uh, pretty recently, I feel like that um, you know, she was left in the dark. I gave no clarity whatsoever. Um, and it was, it, was, it was just something to laugh about in hindsight, but I remember uh, just not even thinking that that was something because um, it was in my brain and I didn't articulate it. And the reality is in dating that uh, we're, cre- we're people who are created in God's image and we're, we're created from relationship and we're created for relationship. We desire relational connection, we want happiness, we want friendship. And for every married couple I've ever met, uh, met dating was the, uh, the first time and the, the foundation that was formed for any sort of godly marriage. And through countless college students that I've spent time with, watching friends and family attempt to date, dating is a place where we get it incredibly right as a culture, but also um, incredibly wrong as a culture as well. We misread and misinterpret um, intentions and nowhere have I seen this more within, within church bodies and in particular with college students. 
Uh, we wrestle with boundaries, fear of commitment. Do I value chemistry over character? What about her likes? What about her dislikes? What are my deal breakers and deal makers? What are my non-negotiables? Do they like coffee? Do they like tea? What about Jesus? Um, are they more outdoorsy? Do they enjoy being inside? When do I DTR, define the relationship? Is it okay to hold hands? Can I kiss my girlfriend while dating? What about sex? Is dating just a test drive for marriage where we sample the merchandise and if we don't like it, we just pitch it away and move on to the next? Is the end goal of dating, do I, do I have to get married? Why not just move in? Friends with benefits. And what about those who are, quote, dating Jesus? How do we work through that? You see, the context and expectations of dating have changed a lot in our modern day. What does commitment look like and how do we think about it? She had a coworker at the engineering firm that I worked at this past year who um, was on her third marriage since graduating college, which in itself is, is really actually heartbreaking. And uh, she had been dating her uh, fiancé by this spring, I think they're getting married in the fall, uh, for seven years, which was really unheard of to me. I was like, man, I'd, I would have you know, done a little bit more, a little bit quicker and put a ring on the finger, but seven years is, um, is, was her story. And so, you know, how do we think about this? Because yesterday's dating is not today's dating. I've seen people lower their standards for what feels good in the moment and settling for something now over more long-term realities that are worth more. We get into relationships to feel safe, fulfilled, and satisfied. We want connection and happiness, and a lot of us have tried to or did find it in the dating scene, especially in modern day with a buffet style of selections that can appease our appetites for a short time, but also leave many of us wanting and longing for more. And as I've wrestled with this, um, our culture does not help with this, does it not? Uh, the Bachelorette and Bachelor on TV romanticize it, and it becomes a game of finding a soulmate, um, this, this heavenly Prince Charming, this fantasy-type reality. Um, apparently, you can pay a dating coach up to $300 an hour to coach you on anything from your appearance online and in person to how to flirt with your eyes whatever that means. And dating sites have radically changed the dating scene for a lot of people in the last 10 to 15 years. You see, back in the day, um, and I'm 23, so that means nothing, but back in the day, um, the, car, uh, the car has radically changed dating. And this was kind of a, a nuanced thing for me, because back in the day, as the man, you had to be the man. Uh, you came into the parlor, and you, uh, you came into the family context, and you almost kind of had to prove to the father, hey, I'm the guy that's going to take care of your daughter. Um, I'm, I'm worthy of this. I'm going to take your daughter from her context and bring it into my context. Um, I'm going to care for her. I'm going to take care of her. Um, but nowadays with the car, you can, you can drive. You don't even have to interact with uh, your girlfriend or boyfriend's parents. You just get in the car and go drive and do whatever you want. The car has radically changed dating, and that's one of many tools that we have in modern day. Uh, whether it's online dating where we, we attempt to make us look our best, and this has resulted in crazy standards for people as we can kind of curate um, our own desired person. Some 60% of relationships nowadays begin online. You see, Christians, yesterday's dating is not today's dating. And again, how do we think about sex and dating? How far is too far? Even, the church, even within the church body, I've heard uh, a lot of different, unfortunately, a lot of different advice on this, I had a, I had a mentor for, for a long time um, who was really influential in my life and helping me think through a lot of things. And I, I can recall a time being out to, to brunch with him and his wife, and 
I was talking about kind of, you know, Matt talked about the, the boundary waters of intimacy, the, the kind of physical, emotional, and spiritual, and it was kind of sharing with, with him and his wife about how I've attempted to do that well with Gracie. And uh, this, uh, my mentor was kind of telling me about, you know, hey, when I was in college, my dad, and his dad was a, a longtime pastor, uh, a fierce man of faith, longtime married to his wife for now well over 50 years. Um, and the advice that my mentor's dad gave to him when he started dating, the only advice he gave to him was, um, if you have sex, just make sure you use a condom. Not very helpful advice to a, a young college guy who's attempting to walk in purity, attempting to seek the Lord. And so we need clear guidance on how to steward dating. We need to date in a godly and holy way. And as in all things, the Bible is our guide in this. And it may be a surprise to us, but the word dating does not occur in the Bible anywhere. If you look in the back of your Bible at a biblical concordance under the letter D, you won't find dating. So what does the Bible really have to say? And if 2 Timothy 3.16 is true, that all scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof and rebuke for us to be equipped in every good work, uh, there's no part of the human life that uh, scripture does not touch. Dating has to fall under it. And so again, while dating may not be explicitly mentioned in the Bible, um, that does not mean that Scripture and our Lord does not have anything to say about it. There are guiding principles that we can pull from Scripture and written wisdom that inform how we view, participate in, and counsel those who are single, dating, engaged, and want to be engaged or single or married. Perhaps it may come from Genesis 29 where we learn patience from Jacob, who waited seven years for his girl and then seven more after that. It may be Judges 21, where Scripture warns us that if we do what we think seems right in our own mind, there will be consequences. Maybe it's King David, a man after God's own heart, 2 Samuel 11, who warns us that sin, sexual sin in particular, may be enticing, but it will abuse us and everyone else involved. Maybe we look to the book of Proverbs that's filled with good wisdom on dating relationships, how to find a spouse, good communication, resisting sexual temptation, and much more. And of course, we could look to the model of Jesus, the perfect model for how to love others well. So what are we chasing in dating? What is our why for dating? What I'd like to present this morning is six dating myths that the culture would love for us to believe. And then I want to look at Genesis 24, the story of Isaac and Rebecca, and see what five biblical principles we can pull um, to steward our dating context. So myth number one is that dating is a biblical category. See, Scripture only presents two ways in which men and women relate to each other. Way number one is husband and wife and sexual intimacy. And way number two is brother and sister in Christ and sibling intimacy. Think about how you would relate to your biological brothers and sisters if you have them. And this is important to distinguish between sexual and sibling intimacy because there is appropriate touch between siblings that is not sexual, be it holding hands or hugging. But in our day, we assume there's an in-between stage between husband and wife and brother and sister, that there's an overlap between the two biblically presented camps because dating's not a biblical category. And oftentimes we monkey with these realities as brother and sisters and it kind of muddies the waters of the dating world that we live in. It is unwise, as Scripture presents, it's a matter of fact, it's foolish to stir up love when it's not time to. Um, and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be interacting with each other in such a way that honors that reality. Myth number two, 
Singleness is just a waiting period for something better. See, in the Christian life, none of us is really single. Um, we have the church body, we have Jesus Christ and, and Him crucified, and it's, we're a part of an everlasting family, an everlasting church body. We have fathers and mothers and elders and an older people, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have those who are a part of the greater body of believers. None of us is really actually single. In the Christian community, we get these following things from the local church body. Uh, number one, we get affection from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, number two, we get, we get comfort from 2 Corinthians 13, chapter, verse 11. It may be kindness from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Perhaps it's encouragement from the church body and our brothers and sisters in Ephesians 5. If you're seeking honesty and truth in relationships, we get that in Colossians 3.16. Perhaps as a, a single or dating or married person, you need prayer or hospitality. Scripture presents these realities that the local church has already given us. You see, we really do have everything that we need in Christ, and if you're single, you're not missing out on anything. That is a lie that Satan would love for us to hear, that in order to be whole, in order to be fulfilled, you need to have somebody by your side. As the late Tim Keller has said, in Christ we are one fully known and fully loved, and that, Christian, is the greatest truth that the world will ever hear and that we need to hear every day. Singleness is, is not a lesser relational status or just a time to, quote, get through to get to the other side. It is a gift from the Lord. And yes, I said it's a gift. It may be a gift that you don't desire in this current season of life, but it's one that God has called us to steward. How do you view your singleness views uh, reflects a lot about how you view your relationship with Christ. Myth number three, you complete me. Um, in the movie Jerry Maguire, which I'll confess, never seen, uh, but I'm very familiar with one scene in particular. Uh, Tom Cruise is playing Jerry Maguire, and it's this like, super emotional scene. I don't really know the context, I'll be completely honest, but um, he's sitting there, and uh, he's, I think he's trying to like, get his wife back to be with him. Bottom line is, it's like super emotional scene, he's crying, and there's this one-liner that he goes, he goes, you complete me. Um, and I think that this is, this is often the reality with people when we get into dating relationships, is it's like, oh, finally, the girl who's going to fulfill all my dreams, I've got it, this is it right here. Um, but again, as we've already talked about, uh, a Christian who is, who's given their life to Christ is already filled and already full in Christ. We don't need any more completeness added on to us from a brother or sister. And the reality is, any attempt uh, to place a God-sized burden or, or a God-sized expectation on a significant other is sure to lead to unhealth in your relationship. Bottom line, don't do this. Uh, Christ fills you, and, and we're satisfied in Christ alone. We need to reject the marriage equals or dating, having a person with you equals completion myth. Uh, no single person on this earth was ever designed to meet your every need, desire, want, and hope. Uh, all of us already has that person in Christ Jesus and his completed work on the cross. Myth number four, and this is a big one today, is that sex is needed and healthy in a dating relationship. I can recall when I was at Mizzou uh, as a student, I uh, was in engineering school later kind of one evening uh, doing homework because that's all I ever did, and uh, was sitting, there's kind of a, like a little cafe atrium area, all my engineering buddies know exactly what I'm talking about, potential energy uh, cafe, and I'm sitting in there kind of later one night, and I hear kind of adjacent up to my right, uh, these two young ladies talking about, one of them had just gotten into a dating relationship with apparently a super cute frat guy, and 
uh, her friend was talking with her, and they were kind of like, hey, how's it been going? How the first couple dates been? And uh, I'm not making this up for the sense of uh, this illustration or this story. Uh, I kid you not, uh, after, on date two, um, they didn't have sex, and her friend was just completely baffled. And her exact words to her friend, uh, her friend was, well, if he didn't have sex with you, then he doesn't actually love you. Um, this is the default assumption that we live in in our culture. Friends, do not be uh, deceived. This uh, hookup culture, move-in culture, that sex is needed, this is, this is the reality of dating. You've got you to try it before you buy it. Uh, how can I be sure that I'm sexually compatible? That's a lie from Satan that he loved for all of us to believe. We see we need to, we need to root out and be aware of these default assumptions. Paul challenges us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 to do this instead. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Run the other way, those who are single and dating and married. Um, every sin a person commits is outside the body, but uh, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. As far as remaining sexually pure, recall that there's only two ways in which men and women relate, husband and wife, and sexual intimacy, brother and sister, and sibling. So the question that I have often uh, I've heard from guys who are dating or wanting to date, and the question which the premise itself is wrong is, how far is too far uh, in my dating relationship, specifically as far as, as physical purity is concerned? And that's really the wrong question to be asking. Uh, the question you should be asking is, how far into holiness can I go? How far into godliness can I go? How far into purity can I go? You see, the question should be, how can I glorify God and help my brother and sister in Christ grow towards Christ and push towards those realities? And for those who perhaps have uh, fallen into sexual sin, uh, maybe it's currently in your active dating relationship, maybe it's in a past one, maybe it's a personal wrestle, be it with pornography or something else, um, you, you have to work through those realities. We have to work through those emotional realities with the Lord and, and with healthy counsel and, and godly community and go to the Lord to heal and work through those consequences and grief. But for those who are in Christ, if you have confessed and repented of those sins, the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, And such were some of you, speaking of those who are idolatrous, sexual, immoral. Um, he says, But you were washed. You were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So again, friends, if, if, this is, if this is you, if this is your reality, trust that the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has washed you clean if you've confessed and repented, is good news. And live and pursue clarity in the freedom that that grace has been given. And with, uh, within physical boundaries, there's also emotional boundaries and spiritual boundaries as well. Um, I would love to be able to give, uh, I'm maybe not the person to give it, but I would, I would love to be able to give a sermon on those two in particular in dating relationships because there's a lot there. Um, but I just, I want to recall back to what our lead pastor Matt taught through last week, just very briefly, talking about the boundary waters of intimacy, which has been a really helpful kind of word picture for me to understand in my context of we have, if you think about, um, you know, three docks on a lake, there's the physical intimacy dock, there's the emotional intimacy dock, and there's the spiritual intimacy dock. You cannot, 
though you may try, you cannot have one of those go up and the other two not go up with them. The water rises all together and all three go up with one another so that we are, as humans, we are intricately connected through all three of those. Um, And as your physical intimacy goes up, so does your spiritual and your emotional. We must be aware of and steward all three of these. Myth number five, two more. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Um, Just going to do what I think is best. Um, I've got my best in mind. I can work this out. Um, Just follow my heart. Scripture presents another reality for us. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Friends, your heart is deceiving you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be led by someone or something that's deceptive or sick. Um, And that's all of our hearts. And what we need is instead of following our heart, we need to follow the word of God. Simple and plain, his will and his wise counsel that God has given us in his word as well as within the local church body. A young man or woman keeps his or her way pure by guarding it according to God's word. Proverbs 4.23 says to keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Christians, instead of following your heart, you need to broaden your heart. Your heart is easily deceived, and we must broaden our hearts, one, to the truth of God's word, and broaden it, two, to the community around us, to the voices and hearts of those who have gone before us. Our sixth and final myth is the perfect person for me is out there, the mythical one who will um, fulfill everything that you want and desire and need. Here's the hard truth, friends. You will always date and marry the wrong person. We aren't just lonely people. We are first and foremost people who need a Jesus in our life. We need a Savior. We are lonely and insecure sinners who need Jesus long before we need a spouse. The person you date and the person you marry is also a sinner who needs Jesus. Take your rose-colored glasses off. They will let you down and you will let them down. You will sin against them and they will sin against you. You see, the perfect person for all of us is found first and foremost by seeking Christ. Um, And any attempt that we need to develop a deep intimacy with a woman or a man needs to be found in Christ before we do so with one another. We need to be more focused on the heavenly marriage and the end of days with Christ and the church than any pursuits of finding our perfect soulmate who will complete our every need in the here and today. Draw near, friends, to the one who sovereignly knows you and holds your future and knows who your future spouse might be. So again, what are we chasing in dating? If yesterday's dating is not today's dating, why do we date? Marshall Siegel wrote a fantastic book called Not Yet Married. Would highly recommend and commend it to both those who are single, who are dating, who are counseling, wherever you're at. Uh, subtitle is how to, how to Find Joy in Singleness and Dating. How to Find Joy, which I love that. Um, and there's many principles and ideas from that book we've kind of derived this morning and as we've, as we've talked through that. Um, and he, he describes the reason, and I think this is really succinctly put, that the why of dating, the reason for dating is to pursue clarity over intimacy. To pursue clarity over intimacy. Clarity about marriage, clarity about your future, and not intimacy. So what we're going to do to kind of close our time together is I want to look at five biblical stewardship principles uh, that Scripture presents. Um, and we're going to look together at Genesis chapter 24, um, which 
Chris read for our, our scripture reading this morning. Uh, we don't have time to go through all 67 verses, um, as much fun as that would be. I would like for you guys to eat lunch today. Um, but what I, want to, I do want to do is kind of, at a high-level view, walk through uh, this story. If you haven't read Genesis 24 in a while, this is what happens. Um, so Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Um, one of them is Isaac, and Isaac, uh, he, Abraham brings a servant, and he says, all right, servant, go get a wife for my son. And uh, he makes him go under an oath, and he goes, go, don't, go, don't go to the Canaanites, go to my, go to my home country, and uh, bring, me a, uh, bring me a wife for my son. And the servant's kind of wrestling. He's like, but Abraham, what if, what if I go and she doesn't come back with me? And um, he goes, gets up on his camel, rolls up uh, to the watering hole. He sees Miss Rebecca, who Scripture says is beautiful. No man had ever known her. Um, and then he, he talks to her. They have a conversation, and then uh, he stays the night with her whole entire family. He talks with Rebecca's father and her brother. Bottom line is, it's a beautiful story. Uh, it'd be some great afternoon reading today um, for you to, to dive into Genesis 24. We could have a four-week sermon series on it alone. Um, but the reality is that God's sovereign hand is, is guiding the whole entire process. Um, and we can, we can pull out five principles that I think will help us to understand this. So uh, principle number one is patiently wait and put the pressure on God. Patiently wait and put the pressure on God. Genesis chapter 24, verse 7 says, uh, this is Abraham speaking to the servant before he, he commissions him out on his, his wife-seeking journey for Isaac. It says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife from, from my son there. Key section there is, he will send his angel before you. You see, God is working and goes ahead of the servant in this pursuit. And God does the very same thing for us today. God not only joins a husband and wife together, but he also brings them together. And I love Genesis 24, verse 21. Uh, it's not up on the slide, but uh, what happens is the servant, he gets to the watering hole, he sees Miss Rebecca. And it says in verse 21 that the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I love this. You see, the servant waits in silence. He watches to see if the Lord had prospered his journey or not. The servant is not following his heart. He's following God's plan. Friends, there's nothing wrong with you walking in active obedience and patiently waiting and taking your time and waiting for God's timing in your future relationships. We need to neglect the ring-by-spring reality that a lot of us are tempted to fall into. Other than accepting Jesus, perhaps choosing your future spouse is the second most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. You are being tied sexually, financially, your time, you're creating a family together, this is a reality that should not be taken lightly. So patiently waiting and putting the pressure on God for this lifelong decision. Don't rush. Look to see, rather, how the Lord is prospering your journey or not in your relationships. Don't force it. Don't fret. Don't compare. Look to God and wait. Resolve to pray for your future spouse and commit your ways to him so that then he will establish your steps. Uh, stewardship principle number two, pursue him or her, or pursue with an open hand and a guarded heart. Um, this is something that's really hard for us to do because, again, we want it in the here and now. I want a spouse now. I want a girlfriend now. Can I just have it now? 
pursuing with an open hand and a guarded heart. The very next verse, verse 8, um, Abraham again talking to the servant before he goes out on his journey. He says, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, that would stink. Go all the way on your camel and she doesn't come back. Then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So Abraham says, hey, listen, servant, if, if, uh, if Rebecca, this woman, whoever it is, doesn't come back with you, you're free from this oath. That is pursuing God with an open hand, trusting him. So friends, don't, don't put so much, so much pressure on yourself. Seek Christ and have a why for dating and a why for him or her. Remembering again, this person will not complete you, but you must look to and be submitted to the Lord's leading. And that may mean asking someone out and hearing no. That may mean being asked out and saying no. If you are submitted to the Lord, that is an okay answer. You could view that as a rejection of you or an opportunity to see the Lord's guiding, directing steps. In dating, we need to hire slowly and fire quickly. What I mean by that is we need to be slow to move into relationships, evaluating character over chemistry. We need to be slow to move into relationships. And uh, if it's not working out, you need to fire quickly. Do so in a God-honoring way. Don't say God told me but do so in a God-honoring way that's honoring your brother and sister who you're in a covenantal relationship with under Christ. Um, but don't string, men don't string women along emotionally, saying, I'm just kind of working through some stuff right now. Um, if you're going to end it, you need to end it. Pray and invite wise counsel to speak into your life. Before you start dating, humbly asking someone who's older than you, hey, is right now a good time for me to be in a dating relationship? The way, the way you see me live my life, uh, my current struggles, my current uh, things that I'm, I'm kind of giving my time to, is right now a good time for me to be doing this? Do you think that maybe there's, there's someone you have in mind asking that same person, hey, based on this person, uh, the way they live their life, uh, the character that they have, is this somebody that you think I should be in a relationship with? Observing their character is important. Um, and this one is, is a little bit different, and I need to explain this. You need to watch and see how he or she treats your camels. And what I mean by that is, in verses 19 and 20, work with me here. When she had finished, this is, uh, this is Rebecca, when she had finished giving him, the servant, a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. She quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. Um, this is the reality, men. Um, if you want to, this is you know, if you're not going to hear anything else I'm going to say this morning, this is 90% of what I'm saying. Um, men, you need to watch how she treats her father. How she treats her father is one day how she's going to treat you. Um, watch and see how she treats her biological brothers and sisters and her spiritual brothers and sisters, because one day that is how he is going to treat you, uh, or she's going to treat you. Sorry, women. Watch and see how he treats his mother because that is one day how he is going to treat you. Likewise, with biological and spiritual brothers and sisters, watching how he treats them, because that is one day how he will treat you. Watch and see how he or she treats your camels. Number three, pray now, pray then, and pray always. This is probably the, the most important one, but also the hardest one to do, because uh, we don't see a lot of fruit in it in the, the day-to-day, perhaps. Verse 12, I love this, man. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show me steadfast love to my master Abraham. Come on. The servant took time to pray and plead with God before going out to speak to Rebecca. Christians, we don't start dating without praying, and we don't stop praying while we're waiting or dating. 
uh, committing your ways to the Lord, asking for prayer, being in prayer for who and when and what the Lord may have planned. You become a lot better at your horizontal relationships by strengthening your vertical one. Uh, this past Friday, I love this, man, this is awesome. This past Friday, we had a couple brothers get together for a 5 a.m. prayer meeting. Um, I'm actually pretty amped about these other-led prayer meetings. This is the first time I heard about it this morning. Uh, but we had a couple men get together for a 5 a.m. prayer meeting. I'm seeing some of them right here this morning. Um, man, it was so good. Uh, it was hard to get up early, but when you, when you seek, that's one of my favorite things, is seeking the Lord in prayer with other men. And, and we kind of moved through a couple prayer prompts. Um, but one of the ones that we, we camped out on for a little bit was uh, we all prayed for our future spouse and our future kids. Um, there is, I think there's nine, nine brothers there that morning. Only one of them was married. Uh, some, of us are, some of us, like me, were dating. Some of the brothers were single. Some of them are about to get engaged. Um, oh man, that was so good for me. Um, that was so good, I know, for a lot of the other guys. Um, so find other, other people to pray for your future spouse for. Pray for your future kids. Perhaps it's praying for enjoyment of God more than one another. Perhaps it's prayer for continued purity of mind and body. Perhaps it's prayer for being quick to listen and forgive, repenting of sin as Christ forgave you. Perhaps it's deep, lasting friendships and increased hunger for God's word. Perhaps it's for wise counsel to walk you through dating, engagement, and marriage. Two more principles and then we're done. Number four, date in the church body for counsel and confirmation. Date in the church body for counsel and confirmation. Again, similar to the car um, we can date in isolation super easily in, in 2023. Uh, you don't have to be around your friends. You don't have to be around your, your boyfriend or girlfriend's parents. Uh, you can just go la di da do your thing around town. Uh, but this is the reality that Scripture presents in this story. Verse four, verses 49 through 51, uh, it reads, Now then, uh, this is the servant speaking, If you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. He's talking to uh, Rebecca's uh, father and brother that I may turn the right hand or to the left. Then Laban, her father, and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord, and we cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. That's rich. So you can see the communal aspect of this. The father and brother are involved. They see and are submitted to the Lord's guiding hand. He says, Behold, Rebekah is before you. The Lord has said it. We can't speak good or bad. Take her and go. This is the Lord's will. They trust and submit to that. See, friends, whether you're dating or single or engaged or married, uh, lean into loved ones more than yourself and trust uh, the loved ones around you more than your own instincts. Invite community in that are older and wiser and godly to speak into your relationship. And this is why uh, the local church body is so important. We have a plethora, I'm looking out at a plethora of really godly, lengthy marriages um, that have, have, have you know, borne a lot of fruit. Um, and for all of us, especially I'm speaking to the college men and women in the room um, and those who are, are still single, press into this. Ask good questions. Be a humble learner of how they have gone before you. Serve together in the church and not, don't just be in community, but invest in it. Perhaps it's serving, being in discipleship. Um, all of these things will help you continue to steward your dating relationship. While you're in a relationship, continually asking, hey, is this good for me? Um, is it helpful? Inviting friends and, and wise counsel to give them complete freedom to speak truthfully. Asking humbly, what blind spots do I have? Help me to see what I can't see. Humbly invite this in. Ask good questions. Examine yourself before the Lord 
hey, am I, am I moving towards clarity about marriage with this person, or am I moving away from uh, clarity about marriage with this person? We have a, long, a lot of students, uh, myself included, who from time to time have, have dated long distance. Um, and one of the best things for this, uh, for those who are dating long distance, a very tangible aspect for our church body is trying to form relationships with people in the city that your significant other is in. Um, so when I was, I was in St. Louis, Gracie, whenever she came to visit, uh, she stayed with um, the guy who was discipling me at the time, Brad and his wife, Starla. Um, just super, super tangible, practical need that helped us to continue to walk in purity. And also just getting dinner with a couple who's been married for 35 years was super helpful for us in understanding just kind of, hey, how do we do this thing? Um, how do we continue to follow the Lord with one another? Um, so stay with and invest in those relationships. And so uh, to, the, to the families here, if, if you know somebody who's dating long distance, um, open up your spare bedroom, have them over for dinner, um, invite them in, um, and then afterwards, you know, be humble enough to say, hey, what, do you, what did you think of my significant other, the way they live their life and their character? I would challenge fathers and mothers in this church um, who, have, who have sons or daughters that are dating to invest in the, your son or daughter's significant other. Um, I would challenge fathers to, to, not, uh, to not take on the front porch shotgun mentality, but to take on the, the gentle shepherd who's pouring into uh, maybe your daughter's boyfriend. Um, the last thing that a boyfriend needs from a girlfriend's father is to be fearful of him, um, but why not press into the relationship of the one who knows your girlfriend best, the one who raised her to help you to continue to honor her and care for her in a godly way. So invest in your child's significant other. Men, you have to lead. Please lead. Lead with clarity. Communicate frequently. Do define the relationship. Don't let ambiguity sit out there. Be intentional. Pursue in a godly way. You set the standard for purity. Don't let your girlfriend ask you, hey, is this too far? Is this too whatever? You need to have that conversation. Articulate with words your intentions. Don't neglect your close male friendships as those are crucial to your health and accountability. Women, same way. Don't neglect your close female friendships. Those are helpful as well. Last principle this morning, date for worship of God more than marriage. Date for worship of God more than marriage. Um, Verse 26 and 27, the servant bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me uh, in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. The servant saw God in his pursuit of getting his, uh, his master's son a future wife. He praises God. He thanks God for his faithfulness and his steadfast love. You see, friends, marriage is not the long-awaited promised land of our lives on this earth. Let me say that again because I need to hear it sometimes. Marriage is not the long-awaited promised land of our lives here on earth. And the church, we're tempted to idolize marriage while we're dating and put our hope and future happiness into the, the, the him or her, because this is what happens. Um, you say your vows, you get married, you have your kiss, you go on your honeymoon, you come back and, and life gets real, and then you just stare at each other and you go, what do we do now? The end goal for all Christians in life, whether dating, single, engaged, or married, is worship of God. And when we put our hope in that, we need to be thinking about what's beyond our dating relationship other than just being married. It's living and worshiping for God. Friends, you're not lesser than if you're not married, nor will you be greater than if and when you are. Worship, again, is the goal of our entire life, and so it is with dating as well. We are not made to be married, but made to make much of him. 
in our dating relationships is it's much about knowing God, worshiping God, depending on God, displaying God, and being made like Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment along with loving your neighbor as yourself. This should be the aim in all of our life, and it applies to dating as well. Paul exhorts us to whether we eat or drink, um, do it all for the glory of God. So friends, whether you are dating, whether you're engaged, you want to be dating, you want to be engaged, you want to be married, no matter where you are, do it all for the glory of God. Seek Him, look to Him, depending on Him, waiting on Him, with or without a significant other. Steward your current relational context for the one that you will spend eternity with. Friends, seek to make much of Him. See, yesterday's dating is not today's dating, sure. But praise be to God that thankfully our yesterdays, todays, and tomorrows are the Lord's. Let's worship Him and honor Him, and He will show us the next steps as we commit our ways to Him. Let's pray. Father, I, I praise you this morning for your word, um, that you've, you've given us the pathway for preparation. I, I pray for the, the singles in this body that they would find uh, fulfillment in you. I pray for the dating in this body that they would find fulfillment in you. I pray for the engaged that they would find fulfillment in you. Father, I pray for the married that they would find fulfillment in you and you alone. Father, dating is hard, but your word has something to say about it. Jesus, will we continue to draw near to you, strengthening our, our vertical relationships as we continue to pursue our horizontal ones. Um, I pray for those who are dating and want to and those who are counseling that we would all as a church body steward dating relationships. I pray for beautiful dating relationships that are making much of the Lord, showing and telling the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Would we continue to worship you in all that we do? It's in your name we pray. Amen.